0: Good morning everybody. We're going to start our reading this morning with Revelation 21 starting at verse 4 of this, uh, sorry, verse 1 to verse 4. And I wasn't awake at midnight. Hope I can get through it. I should be refreshed. Okay. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city For the old order of things has passed away. And now, Psalm 77 through to verse 20. For the director of music. For Jeduthun of Asaph, a psalm. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water, the heavens resounded with thunder, your arrows flashed back and forth, your thunder was heard in the whirlwind, your lightning lit up the world, the earth trembled and quaked, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron.
1: someone uh, close to me has a daughter who's developmentally delayed. And um, I remember when she first got that diagnosis, I gave her a call and she said to me, we prayed for her before she was born. And She said, there's, there's people out there who don't pray for their kids at all, who don't care about God, and yet their kids are totally fine, perfectly healthy. And I asked her at that point if she was angry with God. And she she thought about it and she said, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Just disappointed. Now, when God doesn't seem to do the things that we think he should, from what I've seen in life, it, it seems to have one of two effects. It either drives you away from God at that point. It drives you to disappointment and resentment and bitterness and eventually even unbelief. Or it it drives you to God. It drives you to bring your pain and anger to Him. In this psalm that we're looking at today, we see this as second effect, don't we? This is not someone stonewalling God. This this isn't someone cutting God off. This is someone complaining to God. And they're not really holding back. Look again at at verse 1, which Trudy just read for us. The psalm writer writes, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me when I was in distress. I sought the Lord at night. I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. Scripture is full of this kind of thing, of, of people crying out to God. People saying, what are you doing, God? Where are you, God? I've, I've heard over the years, some of you ask God these kind of questions. I've asked God these kind of questions myself at times. As Bob said to us before, across January, we're going to be looking at at different psalms. And the great thing about the different psalms is, is they capture the different emotions and different experiences that we have in life. And today in this psalm, it's a psalm that touches the experience of suffering. It doesn't wrestle with suffering kind of like as an abstract idea. This psalm is about the kind of suffering that we actually experience personally. This psalm is about the kind of suffering that that keeps us up at night, not wrestling with a philosophical problem but with a a personal pain or heartache. Now as we read this psalm, we we don't, do you notice, we don't get exactly what's causing the writer to suffer. We don't really get told that but we do see the result of the suffering. His suffering causes him to have an issue with God. In fact, In verse 3, the very thought of God causes him to groan. He says, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. And his suffering causes him to question. It's like he's lying there, unable to sleep at night, and the questions are just racing through his mind like they do, tormenting him. And look at the questions in verse 7. Look at how pointed and almost accusing they are he asks will the lord reject forever will he never show his favor again has his unfailing love vanished forever has his promise failed for all time has god forgotten to be merciful has he in his anger withheld his compassion this is really bold crying out to god don't you reckon and these, these questions that the songwriter is asking, they, they give us a bit of a clue as to the suffering, actually, that he's facing. Because he, his questions are all about God's rejection. They're about God's love withdrawn, God's promise failing. His questions seem to be about God's treatment of his people. Which means that this psalm was probably written around the time of the exile, around the time that God's people were exiled from their homeland, around 550 BC. The writer is is looking at at the horror of what's happened. The northern kingdom has has been completely destroyed. And in the southern kingdom, the temple has been burned and smashed, and the walls protecting the city have been completely broken down. And every single artistic person, educated person, military person has been taken from their homeland and removed to Babylon. Babylon. And it's like the songwriter is desperately crying out to God and asking, "How is all of this consistent with who you claim to be?" The words that he uses in his questioning, they very strongly reflect the words used in Exodus 34 verse 6, where Moses, way back, asked to see God's glory. And God reveals himself to Moses, not so much with what Moses sees in the end, because God covers his, Moses with his hand. He, he reveals himself in who he says his character is. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so the the writer of this psalm is questioning the very heart and character of who God has revealed himself to be. This is extremely bold crying out to God. And if you stop and think about that, who has given us this psalm? It's God himself has given us this psalm, which cries out and questions God. And do you see what this means? It means the the right place to bring our questions, our frustrations, even our anger, is to God Himself. He's not fragile. He's not afraid of, of what we're feeling. We sometimes can be afraid of what we're feeling about God. He's not afraid. He wants to hear our objections and He wants to hear them honestly. I've found in life that the older you get the more you come to realize that that we all suffer all people suffer that we all have areas in our lives where we wish God would just intervene instantaneously whether it's our health interfering with life you know some of us have got chronic pain that's always present that that just doesn't go away and we ask God again and again to take it away and he just doesn't Some of us have depression that stops us from being who we used to be, stops us from being who who we want to be. And we ask God to free us, but he doesn't. Some of us have lost loved ones or are slowly losing them. And we question God's unfailing love, but he doesn't seem to answer Some of us have suffered marriage breakdown. Some of us are suffering marriage disappointment. It's not what you hoped it would be. And you bring it to God, but nothing seems to change for the better. Some of us are single and and don't want to be. Some of us are struggling with young children. Some with adult children. Some are disappointed with the kind of parents that we've turned out to be. And some are heartbroken that they can't be parents even though they want to be. We all will suffer in this life. And sometimes we cry out to God and we say, I followed your way, God. And yet here I am suffering. Where's your love? Where's your kindness? Where are your promises? If that's what's in your heart, God already knows it. But He wants you to bring it before Him, to pour it out for Him, unfiltered, to pour your heart out to Him. He wants to hear you. Because the truth is, thinking and feeling this way, it it doesn't mean that things have to be left that way. Thinking and and feeling this way and, and objecting to God doesn't mean that's the end of the story. In fact, questioning the the very character and the actions of God can actually help us to take the next step that we need to in wrestling with our suffering in wrestling with God we see this step actually play out in this psalm that there's a change which really kicks in at verse 11 previously in the first part of the psalm the only memories that the songwriter has are are things from better days in verses 5 and 6 He remembers days with music, days with songs, the good old days. But these kind of memories, they don't really give that much comfort. Have you ever had those kind of memories when when you're sad or suffering? Remember the good old days? My brother is an art therapist, which I didn't know was a thing until he, he studied it. But apparently it is. But he said to me one time, he said, the past and the future are dangerous places to dwell the past and the future, they they just make the present more painful. But at this turning point in, in his wrestling with God, the songwriter causes himself to remember something else, a different kind of memory. Not about his past so much, but something else about God. Not his good old days. The songwriter forces himself to remember what God has done in the past. Look at verse 11, this turning point in the psalm. He writes, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and mediate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? Do you see what he's doing? See the words he's using? Remember, remember, consider, meditate. This is an an active, deep reflecting on God's actions in the past that leads him to conclude that God's way is holy, is set apart and different. And that God himself is holy, set apart and different. That God is absolutely unique in his greatness. And we see what he particularly reflects on in verse 15. He says, with your mighty arm, you redeemed your people. He remembers God's redemption, his salvation of old. He meditates on the, the defining origin of, of God's people, their beginning as a nation, when God redeemed them from slavery in Egypt by doing the impossible, by parting the sea. Listen to how he meditates on it in verse 16. He says, The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed, the very depths were convulsed, the clouds poured down water, the heavens resounded with thunder, your arrows flashed back and forth, your thunder was heard in the whirlwind, your lightning lit up the world, the earth trembled and quaked. The songwriter looks back to God's actions in the past and it helps, It helps as he's he's wrestling with his own present suffering. But why is that? Why does it help him to look back at what God's done? Well, first, it helps because it shows him the power of God. God's power is is ridiculous. It's majestic. It's terrifying. I mean, imagine passing through that sea. Imagine the wall of water on the one side and the wall of water on the other Imagine the darkness as the storm clouds cover the sky and and in the shadow of those, those waters with the only light coming from lightning lighting up the world. Now, I bet you as they walked through the depths of that sea, they had no doubt that God was walking before them. But how does that help him now, thousands of years later? It helps him and it helps us to see that God's not quiet because he's incapable. If back then God could break into action and, and tear apart the sea like he did, then there can be no doubt that he, can do, he has the power to do it again. God can heal in an instant. He can repair relationships in an instant. Cure addictions. Bring justice. In our suffering, there's no doubt that God can act. But, of course, the next question that pops into our mind is, well, then why doesn't he? Is he perhaps not good? And again, looking back here helps the writer and, and helps us too. Because looking back, he sees again the character of God. Look at verse 19. He writes, Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people Like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He remembers that that God uses his power for the good of his people. In the terror, there is God going just ahead of them, shepherding them, even caring for them, redeeming and rescuing them. God is able and God is good. And so the real question is does God change? Is that why God doesn't act when he wants him to? Now, this psalm, you would have noticed as it, as it was read, it, it kind of raises this question, but it doesn't really answer it here, not in this part of the Bible. It, it doesn't really answer it. it. It hints that God will act and he'll act for their good. But that's about as strong as it gets in this psalm. But we today don't rest on hints we get to see even more of the picture than this songwriter. As we wrestle with our own suffering, we look back to an even greater origin story than the songwriter. We look back to an even greater redemption. We look back to when God led us like a flock, when God came down and walked through the valley of the shadow of death for us. We look back and we see the power of God where Jesus redeemed us from our greatest enemies, sin and death, defeated once for all time. And we look back and we see God is good because we see in Jesus God enter into our mess to end it. We see at the cross that that God will never give up on his people. You already know that suffering in this life never has neat answers. We all know that. We, we hardly ever know why it is that, that we we suffer like we do, why the things that happen to us happen. And that is distressing. You know, our suffering, it's often said, and it's so true, it's like the back of a tapestry. Our lives, they they just look like a mess often. You, you can't really see the picture on the front. And we never will see that picture until Jesus returns. It, it won't make sense till then. But one day we will see the glorious picture that God is creating we'll understand why God needed to stitch things the way he did we may never know the meaning of our suffering in this life but we know the one who does know we know the one who understands our pain who understands it because he's entered it and we know that he fights on our behalf to end our pain because God the son suffered as a man on the cross for us and when he comes back we know he'll bring our pain to an end forever and so the real question is can we live with our suffering without knowing its meaning and we already do don't we and we do because we know the character of our God I want to spend the the last few minutes just thinking through a little bit more practically how we can help each other help ourselves and help each other To wrestle with our sufferings now. And the the first thing I want to say is that this psalm kind of guides us in is is to acknowledge your suffering. For some reason, sometimes Christians think that life will be smooth when we follow Jesus. You know, when I was young, I used to think this way. And and you kind of think, where does this idea come from? Maybe it comes from, you know, those kind of purple Bible verses that get put up on, on the fridge and stuff like that. Like Jeremiah 29 verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's a great verse, isn't it? But do you remember where it's given to God's people? It's as they're suffering in exile. That's where that verse is given. Or maybe we, we get this idea that everything will go smoothly for us if we follow God from verses like Romans eight twenty eight. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Which is another great verse, but in the next verse, do you know what God's purpose is? It's to conform us to the image of Christ, to make us more like Jesus. And that can happen even through suffering. It happens especially through suffering that we become like Jesus, our Lord, who suffered in our place. We don't have to pretend that Christians won't have hard times. As Christians, we'll have times that keep us up at night, questioning God. We should acknowledge suffering when we face it. And this leads us to the next thing that will help us with suffering. We should expect suffering. And this is actually a slightly different point point to the last one because the last point is about acknowledging that suffering's out there and that it happens to some Christians as part of their walk. But this point is much closer to home. It's about expecting to personally suffer in your life. Now, I'm mostly speaking to those under 30 here, those in their 20s and um, teenagers, because the rest of you, I think, have already discovered this. Because the older you get, the, the more you see that everyone suffers in some way. So if you haven't seen that yet, expect to suffer. Don't be surprised by it. Instead, be prepared for it. Are you prepared for it? Because it's not a matter of if. It's not a matter of if, it's when. Prepare yourself now for suffering. How are you going to handle it when it comes? Is it going to drive you to God or away from Him? Is it going to grow you and make you more like Jesus? It's worth reading books now and it's worth strengthening your faith now. It's worth being a part of a, a real Christian community that will care for you now so that you're ready to face it. And this ties in, into our next point. The next thing I want to say about suffering is to accept it. In a way, we actually need to embrace it, not as a friend, but as a reality. Sometimes we ask God to take our our problems away from us and sometimes he does. But sometimes he says no. And in that case, we don't want to gloss over our suffering or or pretend that it's not there, but neither should we wallow in it. As much as possible, we need to accept it and, and get on with life, knowing that God's at work in us by his Holy Spirit, even through suffering. But a big part of of accepting suffering is actually being realistic about it. We're limited, finite people. We're broken. So what I'm saying is that part of accepting our suffering is actually to realise that it's going to have an impact on our lives. If you've been hurt and betrayed and let down by someone, it has an effect on you and how you relate to others. If you have chronic pain, it, it impacts you. so you need to go easy on yourself and easy we need to go easy on each other you know so often we presume to know each other's stories but we don't know each other's stories you don't know if 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 someone today after church uh, when they're a bit irritable we don't know if that's coming from a place of dealing with chronic pain or not being able to hear properly feeling cut off we need to go easy with each other we need to carry each other's burdens we need to bring them to god but also bring them to each other and allow each other to help and this brings us to our final point when we suffer we need to try and see it from god's perspective now this is hard partly because what suffering does is it really closes down your world in on yourself your world shrinks so that all we think about is, is our pain, our struggle, ourselves. And it's, it's hard to see or hear anything else. And part of the answer is to lift our eyes. Not deny our suffering or pretend that it's insignificant. But part of the answer is not withdrawing within, but looking to God. Do you notice the way the psalm does this? The progress that the songwriter goes from his eyes on himself to lifting them to God and meditating and remembering. Now, to help us see things from God's perspective, the first thing we need to do is bring our suffering to God, ask God the difficult questions, maybe even write them down, but voice them somehow. God wants to help them, hear them, and it actually helps us to hear them too. And as you're you're questioning God and his character, do what the songwriter does. Look back. Look back to your origin. Look back to Jesus there on the cross for you, suffering in your place. God in human flesh, suffering for our sake, our sin. His love alone holding him on the cross in order that he might be able to end our suffering. Look back and then look forward to where he's taking it. The end of all suffering, whereas we heard before, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more sadness, sickness or death. As we see suffering from God's perspective, our own suffering, it also means we need to see each other's suffering from God's perspective too. Have you noticed, I've noticed it within myself, but maybe you've noticed it within others or yourself that When someone else suffers, part of you wants to just run away from that suffering because you don't know what to say and and you don't know what to do. You don't feel like you've got the answer. Well, if we see things God's way, we won't run from each each other's suffering. We'll actually run to those who are suffering. Not because we think we're the answer, but because we have a heart like God that goes out to them, And we know that God has the answer. Sometimes suffering can be a very lonely place and we can either make that better for each other or worse for each other. We need to walk with each other through suffering and we actually need to let each other cry out in anger to God even through those times. Because God can handle it. And God alone has the answer to our suffering. Let me pray for us. Father, we stand in awe of the kind of God you are. Your power, that at the cross you could overcome sin and death and be resurrected back to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, your power is astounding. But also astounding is your love. That you want to hear our suffering. That you care deeply about our struggles, even our self-inflicted struggles, Lord. Your heart is with us. Lord, help us to bring our suffering and struggles to you, knowing that you understand them, that in Christ you have entered into the mess of this world, and knowing that you have a plan that will bring an end to all pain. Lord, help us to long for that day when Jesus returns and you welcome us into an eternity where suffering is done away with. In the meantime, Lord, help us to walk together through suffering, to run to each other in suffering, and not to leave each other alone in the loneliness that it can bring. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.